This morning, I'd like to share with you a special piece of music that has inspired me and inspired what I'm going to speak to you about today. Due to copyright issues, we couldn't show the Jefferson Unitarian Church rendition of Just Breathe by Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam. He wrote it in 2009. But I can encourage you to go onto YouTube and look for Willie Nelson and his son Lucas singing this song, Just Breathe. I'm going to share with you some of the lyrics of the song because they apply to what I'd like to speak to you about today. The song goes, yes, I understand that every life must end. As we sit alone, I know someday we must go. Oh, I'm a lucky man to count on both hands the ones I love. Some folks just have one. Yeah, others, they got none. Stay with me. Let's just breathe. Under everything, just another human being. Yeah, I don't want to hurt. There's so much in this world to make me bleed. Stay with me. You're all I see. Did I say that I need you? Did I say that I want you? Oh, if I didn't, I'm a fool, you'll see. No one knows this more than me. As I come clean, I wonder every day as I look upon your face. Everything you gave and nothing you would take. Did I say that I need you? Did I say that I want you? If I didn't, I'm a fool, you'll see. No one knows this more than me. And the song ends with Hold Me Till I Die. Meet you on the other side. Eddie Vedder, when speaking about that song, said that it was the closest thing he had ever written to a love song. Just Breathe is about accepting loss and change. And Eddie Vedder is quoted as saying, that song is a reminder to just stop and be together. Don't talk now, just breathe and feel each other's presence. He reminds us to slow down a bit, to remember what our priorities are. It's a song that mourns and celebrates the transience of life the preciousness of being loved and loving other people and the gift of our breath. It reminds us how important it is just to stop and be together. Just to be still and to breathe is so profound and so important. This is one of our tools that we can cultivate for building our resilience, especially in times like these. And it is a tool that's within each of our reach. But it does take some practice, especially when things are hard. Our culture trains us that we should be avoiding painful or difficult feelings. Our culture trains us to take a pill at the first sight of a headache, sign of a headache, to answer the question, hey, how are you doing? With great, but we don't always feel great. <laughs> And if we aren't mindful, we'll spend our lives ducking and denying our pain. That doesn't build strength and it doesn't build resilience. Being with our breath, being present to the moment, that is where we find our true strength. And as that song reminds us, our time on earth is short. Our time to be with the people we love in this life is finite. 
all of us, each of us are going to suffer losses. And they're not always death. Sometimes they're divorce, the breakup of friendships, the pain of separation from people we love, sometimes due to addictions or dementia. It is a risk we take when we love others. And it's also why we're here. By the time we get to be adults, most of us are aware that change and loss are not usually too far off in the horizon. We know that life is going to keep bringing us challenges, and we know that it's going to hurt sometimes. We don't have a choice about that. But we do have agency when it comes to our response to those losses. Life has been extra challenging the last year and a half. We are all feeling the loss brought on by this horrific virus. We've been muddling through a period in history that surprised us, and it has required us to be resilient and resourceful. This pandemic has required that we navigate uncertainty, confusion, disappointment, and grief. We are learning to build our dream of beloved community. And one tool that we can nurture in ourselves is our ability to name and accept our discomfort. These are essential skills for being human and they're essential skills for building beloved community. Because most of us, not just ministers, will have losses in our lives that break our hearts. A couple summers ago, I worked as an intern chaplain at a hospice, and I had a patient who was nearly 100 years old. She had lost her husband 75 years prior in a work accident. When her husband's family was driving up from another state to attend his funeral, they got in a terrible car crash, and five of them did not survive. Two of them were children. This woman that I ministered to in hospice was left with two little children, and she was devastated. She went on to remarry, and she had another child with her second husband, and he passed away in old age. But 75 years after the multiple traumas she'd suffered losing her first husband and his family, she still needed to tell that story. She talked about it nearly every visit I had with her. That tragedy had shaped her life and it had become part of her identity. I asked the supervising chaplain, my supervisor, who knew her well, about how this story that happened 75 years ago could still be so much at the forefront of her mind. Now, my supervisor was a wise and compassionate old chaplain, and he reminded me that people will process their grief at their own pace. He reminded me that most of us will never have an experience like hers and that my job was to meet her where she was at without judgment. He also pointed out that she'd volunteered for a local youth organization for 50 years and that in all ways she had led a full and rich life. But she still needed to tell her story. She was still processing the shock and loss that she had endured, and her heart, 75 years later, was still broken. And yet, her life had not been without joy. 
there can be life after trauma and loss, and there can be joy. We are challenged to acceptance, to being conscious of the stories that we tell about our losses. I heard a theology professor from Yale, a black man named Willie Jennings speak about joy. And I started thinking about how can joy coexist with grief and loss? Now Jennings actually studies this and he calls joy an act of resistance against the forces of despair. He says, joy is a work that can become a way of life. When we're in it though, when we're in the throes of our grief and our loss, sometimes our exhaustion, the last thing we really want to hear about is joy. We have to be with our hurt first. We can't skip to the fun parts. We have to be with it before we're ready to move forward. I remember in 2017, I had lost in a short period of time, three people that I was close to. I was in a moment of despair and I started to wonder what was the point in loving people when life is so short and we're so vulnerable. When we know that there's a good chance that we are going to get our hearts broken. I was angry and I didn't have any answers. One of the people I lost at that during that time was my old friend, Bob. Bob was a unique character. He was an industrial artist. He was an avid reader, an armchair philosopher, hard worker, and a friend to many people of all ages. I met Bob when I was a young adult and I worked at Paris on the Platte, which is a little bohemian coffee house in downtown Denver. He was the handyman. I was the waitress. But over the next 30 years, Bob remained one of my best friends. Now, having a friend for 30 years means that Bob watched me make mistakes, sometimes the same mistakes over and over. He knew well my faults, and I knew his. But our friendship and our love for each other was an anchor point in my life. And his death has left a hole in my heart that will never be filled, like a Bob-shaped hole. I know I will never hear Bob refer to himself in the third person again. I'll never hear him say, hey, how about a hug for old Bob? And I know that I will never get the last weeks of his life back when he asked me to visit him, but I was annoyed at something he'd said, and I didn't realize he was dying, and I was busy, and I didn't make the time to go see him. And now, just like Bob's love and his friendship are a part of me, so is my regret that I didn't show up for him in the end. I think many times when we lose someone we love, there's usually a little regret in there too. What if I had done it differently? How did I fall short? It's a heavy load and many people are carrying it. But never as a chaplain or a minister or a human being can I take away that loss for anyone else. Our losses are non-negotiable and they're final. And sometimes it can feel like they might just bring us down. As a Unitarian Universalist, I don't have a theology of certainty of heaven and eternal salvation to preach to you today or to comfort people with. We, you use, don't 
proclaim to know the answers to the mysteries of life and death, or even to have a justification for suffering and loss. But strangely, the fact that we don't have the objective truth is actually the root of our faith. We don't profess epistemic certainty. That's a big seminary word for when a person claims that they know for sure their theology is the objective truth. I know that many people find their epistemic certainty comforting, but it runs counter to our UU core beliefs that we are seekers of truth, not meant to know all the answers. Instead, we find hope in mystery. We find our faith in beloved mystery. We are tasked with cultivating, creating, I'm sorry, we are tasked with creating meaning from the stories of our lives, with cultivating joy, and with being mindful of how we speak and tell ourselves the stories of our lives. We are all, each of us, going to be different in how we respond to loss. Some of us are going to make meaning of our losses and find our emotional resilience quickly. Others of us, like the woman that I met in hospice, may take a lifetime to process our grief. Most of us lie somewhere in between. Grief is a symptom of loving others, and it's okay, because our tears and our pain transform us. I'm reminded of the Lebanese-American poet Khalil Gibran's words. He wrote, your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. It is the bitter potion by which the physician heals your sick self. Therefore, trust the physician and drink his remedy in silence and tranquility. Our tears are not infinite and they are not useless. And every tear that we shed brings us closer to healing. We need our tears and we need the moments of remembering and longing and feeling our losses. We are challenged by our faith to move towards accepting loss. And that doesn't mean that the pain is going to go away. But it does mean that we can remember joy. That we can tell a story of transformation and we can become more whole as a result of having survived loss. There's something profound that happens to people who suffer and who are able to make meaning from their hurts. We are transformed by our suffering. Just like Bob is part of me, the loss of Bob is also a part of me. We can't bring our loved ones back. Sometimes we can't mend the pain of divorce or friendship or relationship breaking up or any of the events that bring us to a place of grief of regret, or of hurt. We need to remember it's okay to feel. It means we're alive. It means we love. It means we care. I choose that story. And it does beat shaking my fist at the sky and being angry at the way things are. We have the opportunity to create a narrative. And we can do it consciously or not consciously. 
We can create a narrative of a burden or a blessing, a story of despair and doom and the injustices of the world, or we can decide to tell a different story. Nancy Massman, a woman living with Alzheimer's, when contemplating her death, chose this story. She said, everything is recycled. Atoms that were building blocks for making molecules that made me may eventually become a part of a flower or a bird. What a story. And it's a true story. Our reading today called it the mighty stream of life. We can fight it or we can surrender. We can just breathe. We can find our resilience in the moment by noticing nature, noticing our connections with other people to love and our joy. May we have the serenity to accept the things we cannot change. May we learn to accept our losses into our very beings and let them transform us into something new, something wiser, someone wiser and stronger than we were before. May we remember to just breathe, to be grateful, to make joy a way of life. I'd like to leave you today with the wise words and directive of the theologian Reinhold Niebuhr. He recommends, quote, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Blessed be and may it be so.